think Tevez going to Juventus, what, what a coup that was for me. I mean, On a head-to-head -head battle, Atletico Madrid can do uh, more damage to Barcelona than the other way around. Either he's really blind or he's fixing the match. I, I can't see it any other way. I'm, I'm trying to get Sir Bob on my side here by saying City will win the Premier League. It, it is an upset. You would expect Man United to go and win there. Over a billion dollars was paid in transfer fees uh, between the clubs in, in Europe. It's football. It's damn football. Like Ferguson said, football. Bloody marvelous. Yeah, well, the celebration was, I can't believe I just scored against Mexico. Uh, at one point, Parma, I think it's only like 224 players under contract. Hey, they're gonna throw me out of here, fellas. You're gonna get me arrested on your show. If you're a serious talent, you're going back and you're playing for Santos. You, you know, you're going back to, to play for, like, in Argentina for River Plate or Boca Juniors, or you're going to Europe. He looked like the Ryan Giggs of old. He was more creative than any player on the pitch. Um, he made Matter look stupid. He made Rooney look silly. Now the Premier League is what the most exciting league out there. I think it's probably the best marketed league without a question. When you look at the draw for the, the Champions League, you kind of say, well, all the pieces kind of fell into place for everybody except City. I am your host, Joe Ucello. Sir Bob, Mike Orr, my co-host, Rob Rojas. My trusted co-host, Ben the Machine. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 346 of Low Limit Football on this 16th of January, 2022. I'm your host, Joe Ucello, and tonight, contract agreements between Paulo Dybala and Juventus have changed, leading to rumors that La Jolla could be on the move this summer. Philippe Coutinho pays instant dividends to Aston Villa as they come back from two goals down to beat Manchester United. Big matchups in both the Italian and Spanish Super Cups lead to extra time thrillers. We're going to discuss both matches and we'll look into the African Cup of Nations with our very special guest, Mr. Amin El Amri from Africa as a sports journalist who will be joining us in just a little bit. But first, let me get my co-host in here, Mr. Roberto Rojas. How was your week, my man? It was good, Joe. It was good. I think, obviously, we're right into the middle of the transfer window. I think, like you had mentioned, you know, these kind of, I like to say clapbacks in a way. And you look mm -hmm. at how, past the time we're talking, we see Coutinho scoring his debut for Aston Villa. And Dybala also scoring as well. Also giving a bit of a, a view at the, um, the sporting director, Pavel Nedved. So, yeah, you'd mentioned these two players. And ironically enough, they do it on the day that... Uh, all of this is going on. So, yeah, it's been interesting. And I'm curious to see what happens within the remainder of the season. As I don't know, Joe. I feel like as we're talking right now, I think it's time to start deciding some leagues. Yeah, uh, I, I, th I think one has already been decided. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I, I think we can probably chat about that just a quick 30 seconds. Um, usually you expect this to be the German league or the French league where we're talking about a team that's already done. We know that traditionally, you know, recently Spain and Italy have run, you know, to the end. Uh, we've always talked memorably about Sergio Aguero's Manchester City goal on the very last minute of the season. Um, but England's done. Isn't it done? And, and I will admit, because at our predictions earlier this year, I got this one absolutely wrong. You got it absolutely right. I, hey, listen, I'm I'm happy to admit it, but um, City's done, right? Liverpool have a two-game uh, advantage. Um, even if they were to pick up the pace, that would still put them roughly eight points behind. Mm -hmm. 
I don't see sitting stumbling the way that they do. Yeah, I think this one's over. And amazingly, you know, December 1st, it was Chelsea that was leading the way, not Man City. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just an incredible, incredible run. But yeah, I think uh, officially January 15th, 2022, we're going to declare that the English Premier League race is done. Manchester City are going back as champions. Um, and congratulations to them. We'll be the first ones to admit it. So uh, let's uh, we're going to get an opening thoughts in just a moment. But my friend, I have a trivia question for you, if you'd like. Go for it. All right. So this is an African Cup of Nations trivia question. Uh, and it goes back to one of the things we're going to talk to Amin in uh, in a little bit. Uh, Nigeria earlier this week beat Egypt one nil. It is Egypt's first loss in the group stages of the African Cup of Nations since when? You just need to give, you need to give me the year. The last time Egypt lost a match in the African Cup of Nations uh, group stages. Okay. All right. That's our trivia. We'll give that to you at the end of the show. Opening thoughts, as we had mentioned earlier. Is the uh, Super Cup matches, uh, the Super Cup match semifinals in Spain and the Super Cup match final in Italy? Let's um, let's start with the Spanish one, Roberto, because I think the the Italy one, we're going to probably spend a minute or two on Paulo Dybala as we as we talk about it. So let's let's get into the first one. And I think it bears mentioning that it was a semifinal. Let's talk about the the second result first because uh, it happened. But Atletico Madrid go out uh, of this competition 2-1 to Athletic Club um, with goals by Alvarez and Williams uh, to seal this one for them. Williams late in the 81st minute. Uh, an Unai Simon goal in the 62nd minute own goal is the only tally Atleti have. Atleti, you know, really kind of struggling here at this point. In, in the season, they're, they're not, they're in the top four in the uh, Spanish league. They are in the knockout stages of the Champions League, but this is just kind of another blemish. You know, what are your thoughts on, on Atleti so far? Um, again, again, let's give full credit to Athletic Club because they're, you know, they're certainly a talented side, but what are your thoughts so far on, on Atleti this season? Yeah, it's been kind of lackluster, you would say, mm-hmm. especially after coming back from winning uh, La Liga, which obviously, as you know, Joe, it's very good, difficult to do when you have two tough teams like Barcelona around Madrid leading the way. And for Atleti to do that is remarkable. But this is to say that I think this side is continually looked to be a bit burnt down, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we know how Cholo Simeone likes to play. I think um, the fact that, you know, this was a side that, you know, really didn't do a lot of business over the summer. I mean, yes, they did get Griezmann. They, get, they did get Rodrigo de Paul. Um, but aside from that, they really haven't changed too much i mean yes they got rid of morata they got rid of saul who went to chelsea they got rid of carrying trippier who went to newcastle so yeah i mean maybe the base of the players and you look at it it is a thin side if you look at it joe real quick i mean there are those players that are coming up as always and but it is a really thin side and maybe that is one of the reasons why they probably weren't able to be as consistent i mean when you look at luis suarez who currently has nine goals so far in all competition that, that, that's a little bit concerning, especially yeah. at this point of the season. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that was their best chance of possibly winning something. I mean, yes, they have the Copa del Rey. They're playing in that one, and that probably could be their best bet of winning silverware. I don't mm-hmm. see them winning La Liga. I don't see them winning the Champions League either. So, yeah, if Simeone is going to save face for this season at least, he's, he's got to get something out of these um out of these uh, remaining games of the season. But credit to Atletico Bilbao. You know, I think credit to them. Marcelino has done, I think, a, a great job with this side. You know, they were, what, 10th last season or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, and rightly so. They did, they did win this tournament as well. They won it last year, if you remember, Joe. They beat yeah. Barcelona in the final. So this is something that 
has been kind of their bread and butter, I guess, over the last couple of years now. So I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens in that final against Real Madrid. I think obviously we all know Real Madrid has been miles ahead of everyone else in Spain running away with La Liga. Um, we'll see what they can do in the Champions League under Ancelotti. But I, I think it's it looks very much a, a remarkable season for them. But let's see what happens in the final. I'm, I'm very curious to see what happens. Yeah, and you know, I, I, want, I want to also add to that that um, the Atleti have, have conceded right now in this season in La Liga 24 goals in 20 matches. This is not a Cholo Simeone characteristic, right? I mean, this is usually one of the top defensive sides in La Liga, if not the world. And and they're not. That's where their real big problem is right now. They, they've scored 33 goals. It's currently good for second in the league, uh, but they're not doing it on the defensive side of the ball. And I think that is becoming a big problem for them. Uh, you know, because that's that's where their bread and butter is, and that's where they're losing it. You know, do do you think that maybe the Simeone message no longer equates or no longer gets through to the uh, to the players at Atleti? Maybe it's time to move on. He would be one of the one of the hottest prospects if he did move. Do you think that it's time? Well, I think he still wants to achieve that one thing that he wants, and that's the Champions League. Mm-hmm. And I think he's trying his best to get that. And after being so close for so long, literally winning every single title imaginable, Joe, outside of the Champions League, I think he really wants that. But looking at this side, if they don't invest properly, I, I don't see how they can consent. They definitely don't have the the team to do it at this stage. And yeah. You know, looking at the team right now and and looking at um, who they're facing, it, you know, I'm, I think, honestly, well, I'm trying to remember who they play, but they play Manchester United, which, yeah, it's, it's um, looking and judging at how United have been playing, it's definitely um, a respectable tie that they can advance, but they have Cristiano Ronaldo, who knows how to play in this competition, but after that, you know, you have so many other teams that are just miles ahead of them right now, it's going to be very difficult. So, yeah, I, I think... I don't want to say it's too soon, but I think if it remains like this for maybe another year or so, if they're not finding any sort of silverware, yeah, then I think it's it's time for that, that really long relationship that they've had over 10 years now where he's transformed this side into one of the best teams in the world um, just goes to an end. But uh, I think he definitely wants to achieve something. But yeah, I mean, styles are adapting, you know, uh, teams are figuring out how they play more often. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I think it's definitely something that I think Atleti, the directors of Atletico Madrid, definitely have to to think about heading into the next season. Yeah, and given and given the uh, the United result on the weekend here against Aston Villa, you know that I think that Atleti United matchup in the Champions League again, it's a, it's over a month away, but I think it's going to be interesting to you know to keep an eye on that because I think there could be. You know, it could either be a real snoozer or it could be a real barn burner, and we just don't know what we're going to get. Uh, it's going to be interesting to to see that one when it comes up. Let's let's though let's jump into really the the reasons we wanted to talk about. We don't normally talk Super Cup, but uh, this is this is an unusual uh, perfect storm because you had two incredibly major rivalries in all of world football happen uh, in this particular Super Cup for both for both countries, both for Spain and for Italy. We're going to start with the Spanish one. Like I said, because it's a semifinal, but we had an El Clasico, uh, which it comes down to. And, and this was going to be my trivia question today until I until I saw the, the Nigerian Egypt fact. And um, I was going to ask you the uh, the Barcelona, obviously Real Madrid beating Barcelona 3-2 in extra time. 
in this one. We saw goals on, in this particular matchup, opening with uh, Vinicius Jr. in the 25th minute, then Luke de Jong uh, in the 41st, right before halftime to tie it up. Then, of course, Karim Benzema does Benzema things. But Ansu Fati returns, you know, still coming back from injury in the 83rd minute, ties it again. And then uh, Fede Valverde comes up in, big in the 98th minute of this one of extra time to, to win it for uh, Real Madrid. It is the fifth win in a row. Thank you, Jack Grimsey, for that fact. It is the fifth win in a row for Real Madrid in an El Clasico matchup, which uh, you know speaks volumes about how these two teams have gone in opposite directions. Uh, but, you know, full credit to Barcelona. We know this Barca team is not as good as it normally is. We know that Xavi has just come in within the past month or so to take over the side, and he really hasn't shaped them into the what he needs. We know that they had to restructure Samuel Umtiti's contact to bring Ferlan Torres in or to be able to register him as a player. So the money's super tight at Barca. You know, everything is super tight there. And for them to take the league leaders, one of the favorites for the Champions League, to extra time, um, you know, does speak volumes for, for what they were able to do. Uh, you know, but ultimately Real Madrid doing Real Madrid things, winning big trophies and, and doing it with their stars like Vinicius and, and with, uh, Karim Benzema, uh, you know, just kind of the same, but, uh, you know, what were your thoughts on this? Do you think that this is a little bit more of a credit to what Barca was able to do for 90 minutes plus, or was it something where it's just Barca's just not good enough and, and we should just move on. And maybe this, this 120 minute contest was actually a fluke. No, I mean, I think it's always been, a, you always look at El Clasico's as being tight affairs. I mean, that's always been the case, no matter how different um, both sides are. Maybe some sides have bad, you know, spells during their seasons, and some do. And so I think um, I think there is a noticeable difference, and a huge difference, mm. from Real Madrid and Barcelona at the moment. Um, I think Real Madrid are miles ahead of better than Barcelona at this stage, but, you know, El Clasico's and El Clasico. I mean, those games are always bitter, you know, it, it doesn't matter what happens. I mean, you look at, I don't know, Milan Inter, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, those were two sides back then, not now, obviously, but back then were on some hard times, but they're still competitive. You still see dramatic games like that. And maybe you get one team better than the other, but they're ultimately still big games. It happens everywhere. It happens in all the big games like this because it's it's just the history of, of how these affairs work. So, yeah, while I can argue that, that Real Madrid are just miles better... I think Barcelona are still a top team in itself. Um, but you, you don't say that about them. You know, this is, a, this is not, you know, this is not Celta Vigo. This is not Real Betis. This isn't mm. any of those, any of those clubs. This is, this is Barcelona, one of the biggest clubs in the world. So, mm. no, I don't think you have to feel sorry for them at this stage. I think, yes, they are on some hard time. They are going through some difficulties when it comes to their finances and we've known that for years joe but ultimately you're there playing for one of the biggest clubs in the world and you you know you go out there to play these type of games against your bitter rivals and to win stuff it's as simple as that no matter how badly you are at this stage so no i I don't really credit them going 120 minutes against real madrid in a game where yeah you might be not the favorites to win but not in the case of having to say oh what a great job that they did that they lost in this stage at this stage at this uh, during extra time i don't buy i don't buy into that personally yeah and you know just looking at the lineups here i mean these these two teams pretty much started 
full strength squads as you'd expect them to go. Um, you know, nobody really on either side that I'm looking at that you would say, nah, you know, this, this wouldn't, this player normally wouldn't start in this, in a big match. Um, so this, this was a true test. You know, the interesting one for me, uh, is, is Danny Alves, right? They bring him back in, I believe 38 years old now, uh, losing, you know, basically taking a spot away. If you think about it from Serginho Dest, now there's rumblings that Serginho Dest might be moving on because of, of them bringing in Danny Alves, Obviously, Sergio Roberto move. I'm sorry, Jordi Alba uh, on the uh, on the right side. I'm sorry, on the left side, and, and Alves on the right side, and then Sergio Dest really doesn't have a home. Do you think uh, you see Dest move in this uh, window? Uh, I don't know about this window, but probably in the next one. Yeah, I, I, and also when you look at the finances, you know they can still get some decent money for for G- Sergio Dest. I know, I believe Chelsea was eyeing him as well. So there's there's certainly a possibility that that Barca could be looking that 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 particular move to kind of refill the coffers and and move forward let's um let's let's go from el Clasico to the derby d'italia because and this one was a final not a semi-final but obviously inter two juve one uh opening goal by weston mckinney who also scored again on the weekend against udinese for juventus uh but then a lautaro martinez penalty in the 35th minute and uh we stayed dead even until the 121st minute of this competition where substitute uh, Alexi Sanchez comes on and uh, is Johnny on the spot to, to shovel one home and at literally the final kick of the match, give Inter the Supercopa title. Uh, it is the third time Simone Inzaghi has beaten Juventus in the Supercopa final. The only coach to ever beat Juve three times in that particular competition in the final. And, uh, you know, looking back on this match, I, I look at it two ways. One for me, this Juve side is just not good enough. Period. End of story. I, you know, I I would like to throw some of that on Max Allegri, and I think I can, because uh, his, his tactics are stale, and and they have been stale for a while. And part of me, what I what I loved about the fact that Max Allegri was coming on was the fact that he'd bring stability. But unfortunately, with that stability comes stagnation, and this team looks like the same team from two or three years ago. So I do lay some of that at the feet of Max Allegri. Uh, the rest of it, though, is like I said, this team is just not good enough as constructed. You know, we're, we're seeing a, a lot of pieces, you know, that you've got Alvaro Morata, Moise Kane. They really need a better striker than that. Although, you know, Morata is certainly a serviceable one, but I think we need a little better. Uh, Paulo Dybala uh, doesn't go the full 90 or the full 120 in this when he comes on in the 74th minute. You know, I'm, I'm kind of unimpressed with Dejan Kulusevsky uh, over the past few matches since uh, Chiesa took that ACL injury. He doesn't look like he's grown into that spot. I, for me, I would rather see Federico Bernadeschi play in that spot. Uh, he seems to bring a little more spark to the team than I than than Kulusevsky for me. And and maybe with Juve's financial problems and what they need, maybe Kulusevsky is the piece that they need to start moving in and considering moving forward. Um, I've been ultra impressed with Daniele Rugani, who has uh, who has really been uh, incredible in this one with uh, Leo Bonucci being out, with Chiellini not being full strength. Uh, and then it'll bring me to my last point is that this Juve side, having lost this match in the 121st minute, I mean, keep that in mind, was uh, without a full strength Dabala, no Bonucci. Chiellini had to start in the back because they did not have Matthias Delict. They had no Juan Cuadrado in this one as well, missing huge, huge pieces that are that are, you know, signatures for Juve. And to still go 120 minutes against a an Inter Milan side that had no losses, no there were no players that were out of this one. They played a full-strength side. Um, it does speak volumes to to at least the the idea that Juve hold a 
um, a, a spot for you know finals for 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 big matches like this and 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 to fight that long. Um, you know, obviously, congratulations to Inter for winning the Supercopa. You know that. It was a it was a good game. It was a feisty game. The, the scoreline might not entirely uh, say that, but for me, Inter had more chances but less dangerous chances. They had more time on the ball, but it seemed like Juve was making better um, better work of their opportunities than Inter did in this particular matchup. But unfortunately, couldn't finish. And when you can't finish, a team like Inter Milan, as defensively strong as they are, are going to kill you. Um, what were your thoughts on the uh, with the Derby d'Italia and Inter as champions? No, I think uh, it's it's well deserved. I think obviously this is an Inter side that is clearly not giving up, and we see that throughout the entire season. How you know consistent that they've been as reigning Scudetto champions? Um, but yeah, you're right. I think there's really nothing much to really add to everything that you said. I think this UA side is just not good enough when you look at all the quality that they have. I'm not buying into this whole Ronaldo absence you know that 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 would have been an excuse maybe a couple months ago but not now mm-hmm. yeah this this Juve side is just not good enough you know there are some players that just don't need to be there um you can also worry about the way Allegri is playing sometimes and how concerning that might be and just, you know like you mentioned Insagi getting the the upper hand on him all those multiple times is is, is probably a demonstration of that so yeah I mean deserve champions and arguably the best team in Italy at the moment in Inter and for Juve it's just they need to get something out of the way and they need to get something quickly because otherwise if they're able to not get any type of uh, type of silverware this season mm-hmm. yeah I think heads will roll at that point yeah now you know as a side note just real quick I know we, we mentioned it in the opening monologue was this contract situation with Paulo Dybala a few weeks ago, Dybala and and uh, Juve have uh, had agreed to a contract extension. Um, it was going to be signed. All the indications were there. Everyone was talking that the they there was an agreement and it was going to get signed. And then all of a sudden, when it came time to sign that agreement, there were changes that I don't think Paulo Dybala had agreed to. Almost like there was a a bait and switch kind of thing. Dybala has since backed off of signing that contract, and now there are other teams that are quite interested, including Inter Milan. Uh, to name a few. And, you know, I, I don't know if this is a deception on the part of the Juventus front office. And if it is, my God, shame on them. Uh, because you, but Paulo Dybala is the piece right now. We don't know what we're going to get out of Chiesa or when he's going to come back. You would imagine it's going to be a six to nine month process, which means you're not going to get somebody like uh, Federico Chiesa until at best full strength September. Maybe if you're lucky, August. So you're talking about the next, uh, this, the next Serie A season, you know. And other than that, you have nothing. You really have nothing except for Paulo Dybala. And Paulo Dybala, when he comes on the pitch or when he starts a match, you see the effect he has all over the pitch, especially when he's allowed to roam free. And the fact that if you, as the Juventus front office, deceived Paulo Dybala on this contract extension and soured him. Shame on you. You will never be able to replace what you've lost between Cristiano Ronaldo. And again, I, I had my I had my issues with Cristiano Ronaldo. But if you're going to lose Cristiano Ronaldo and Paulo Dybala in the exact same season, this Juve side will never climb back to the top of the Scudetto until there are big changes at the top of the front office. Um, what do you know about the uh, the contract situation? If, if you have any other information and what are your thoughts on what's happened there? 
Yeah, I mean, it's a weird situation. It really is. Um, you know, I think uh, looking at the, the the tweet that he said, uh, from from what I'm seeing right now, is that you know he invited a friend and he couldn't find him. That's why he looked into the stand. So it had nothing to do supposedly of Neved. Mm-hmm. Um, but in any case, um, I think they need to assure Dybala that you know things will go in the right direction mm-hmm. because you're looking at him as arguably their best player, you know? I think, you know, there's not really any arguments about that. Juve's best player is Paulo Dybala. And when he's on his day, he will perform. So I think if you're going to build a team around him and and have all those players that are so essential to them, you're going to have to change Mm -hmm. and and straightforward. So if he's not promised that during the the summer and and he doesn't see something where he could be a winner, yeah, I think teams around the world are going to pounce on him because he's still... A valuable player mm-hmm. so yeah I, I think um it, it would suck I think for Juve if they do get rid of him because I think they're losing a really really key piece to their side yeah. um but having said that and playing devil's advocate if it were to mean that losing Dybala would mean also rebuilding their entire squad let's see what happens but uh I think their priority should be to keep Dybala but also try to see what type of team that they want to build to, to help support him. See, my, my issue with this is that, and, and I'm going to ask you a serious question. Okay. How many number 10s in the world with the quality and capability of Paulo Dybala are there? Uh, off the top of my head? Mm. There aren't many. Not, not a lot, no. no. No, not a lot. I mean, he's not really a 10, but maybe De Bruyne or... Or you know something along those lines. Yeah, um, yeah, well, not a lot. Yeah, and and that's and the and there lies the issue. He is, he is almost invaluable because there are there are very very few players. I mean, even even Juve shows it to you every week. Mm-hmm. When when Dybala's not on the pitch, they have no teeth. They, they you know they they just don't have any teeth. They they can't attack. Um, what little attack they do have under Allegri's system is all through Dybala. And if you get rid of Paulo Dybala, or if you, God forbid, you lose him on a free, which is just, it would be criminal to, to Juventini, um, you know, you have no way of replacing him. Because now you, you have no money, okay? And the, the only huge pieces you have are, are, are gone. You're not going to be able to go and get a guy like Vlaovic. You're not going to be able to go out and get some of these other guys that you're talking about because you have no cash to do it. So either A, you've got two weeks to sell Paulo Dybala, at top, at whatever top dollar you can get, or B, tuck your tail, go back, apologize, and give him more money and make him stay because otherwise you are screwed. Uh, and and that's my message to Juventus: you've got to sign Paulo Dybala. This is this has got to be the number one priority more than anything else. Keep the pieces you've got because you are screwed if you lose Paulo Dybala right now. I'm telling you right now. So, um, let's table our discussion and my bitterness for the moment. And, uh, and let's get our guest in here. Uh, Amin El Amri is a journalist in Africa, Morocco specifically, and we're going to bring him in to discuss what's going on so far in the first week of the African Cup of Nations. Uh, we're going to get to talk about Morocco, Senegal's disappointing start, Egypt's disappointing start as well. And we're going to talk uh, about all of those things and, and who we see going through as kind of the front runners in this one. So without further ado, the Amin El Amri interview. And joining us now on Low Limit Football, African journalist Amin El Amri. Amin, how are you? Welcome to the show. 
Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you on board. Let's jump right into it and talk about the African Cup of Nations, which we are now a week into the tournament. And you are based in Morocco, and, and Morocco's performed very, very well. Two wins from two matches on six points. They haven't conceded a goal. They currently lead Group C with one match remaining against Gabon coming up this week. Uh, a Gabon side that is uh, going to be depleted with uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang coming out with the uh, heart condition post-COVID. So, uh, And I believe they're also missing Mario Lamina in that one as well. What are your thoughts on Morocco and how they performed so uh, so far in the tournament? Well, I, I think it's no surprise to, to people who have been uh, watching Morocco during the last month. Uh, in the World Cup qualifiers, for example, in the group stage, they, they conceded just one goal in six games. And uh, they, they proceed to, to win all, all six of them. So uh, they, they're on the good form. The national team is on good form. Uh, the reconstruction, if you may say, with uh, the rebuild with, uh, with Vahid Halilovic is going smooth. Although uh, the team is not performing, you know, uh, tiki-taka style or anything, but it's very pragmatic football. And we are around the Mediterranean Sea, not used to having teams winning uh, without performing very well football. So, yeah, it's kind of tricky because uh, they won two games. They already qualified for the last 16, but the performance is not that good. Uh, they're missing a lot of goals against Comoros. They have uh, produced like 19 shots. But they uh, they they were they weren't uh, able to 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 convert a lot. So yeah, this is a problem. But also on a positive note, uh, this will help the team, especially the young younger guys, uh, you know, to stay in touch with reality, not to think uh, their favorites or anything. Well, I was going to mention that actually. I mean, I mean, look at this side, and you know. Relatively speaking, they are among the favorites to win this title. They're not the favorites, but they're among them. I mean, you know, are, are you convinced by them at this stage? I mean, do you still see that they're probably going to have a bit of struggle when you look at the teams that are above them, like Nigeria, who's done well, Cameroon has done well. I mean, Senegal uh, haven't lost yet, but they're still a top team. I mean, do you still see that sort of concern, or do you feel that as the tournament progresses, this Morocco side can get much more stronger, especially in the crucial games? Well, I think experience has taught us all that um, those tournaments, those kind of tournaments are, you know, you have like two kind of tournaments. Uh, you have the group stage where you, you don't have to perform well, just grab your points and make it to the knockout stage. And then the real tournament starts. So uh, there's a big difference. I think they have faced, uh, you know, difficulty against Ghana. Uh, which is good because you need those kind of challenges uh, in the African Cup because eventually you're going to have uh, to face the the best, Cameroon, Nigeria, Egypt, even Tunisia and Algeria, of course, they're the title holders. So uh, you need to play in difficulty and in comfort and see if you can, you know, show what you, what you, what your weapons are in both of those, uh, those kind of games. So, I think they performed well against Ghana because they didn't have to, you know, play the ball. They had to defend against a very good technical team. But against Comoros, they, you know, they created chances, but they didn't just they didn't con convert them. And 
those kind of two situations uh, must have the you know the repercussions are on the bullshit of Halil Halil logic, Wahid Halil logic. So they have to learn their lessons uh, against Ghana, for example, uh, for example, uh, defend better. And against Comoros, they have to learn how to convert gold. That's all. Definitely. Now, looking into this entire tournament as a whole, obviously, we see already teams qualifying with Nigeria, obviously. Uh, Morocco, like you had mentioned, but looking at some of the teams as well, um, like your your Senegal's, your Algeria's, who you know obviously haven't lost as well. But you look at teams like I mentioned beforehand. I mean, like Nigeria and like Cameroon, and and looking at the tournament as a whole, what has been some of the first impressions that you got from this tournament? I mean, is there a side that you feel has been much better than the rest, or do you feel that with this being so early still in the tournament? that there's not a side that really wows you and it's still open for anyone? I don't think, I don't think there, there's going to have, like, there's going to be, like, big, uh, you know, surprise or something. I think um, what happened is that uh, the, the, the European clubs, mostly, who, who have, you know, the, the stars, uh, they, they, uh, they could, you know, just send the players on January 3rd. So most of the teams, most of the best teams having the best players, uh, you know, just like work together for like uh, less than a week with their, you know, biggest players. So I think the preparation pre-AFCON was really impacted by that. And I think the, the, the level, the general level of the tournament is going to be higher with the games. Because, for example, when you see the second match day, uh, the games are better, way better than in the first match day. So I think it's going to be, you know, it's going to even out during the knockout stages uh, with, the, with the best teams really starting to perform there. Definitely. Now, a team that I think a lot of people are having their eyes on with arguably probably the best player in the world um, on the side is obviously Egypt. Now, Egypt go into now their last game uh, today at the time of recording. They beat Guinea-Bissau 1-0 thanks to a goal from Mo Salah. But they are coming off a loss to Nigeria, a loss that they haven't done, uh, haven't been through in a group stage in such a long time. And now they're going into this game against Sudan, you know, a Sudan side that who haven't won a single game yet so far in this group. But my question to you is, how concerned are you of this Egypt side? I mean, I think we all knew the game against Nigeria was always going to be a title, deci- sorry, a group decider to see who finishes first and second in that uh, group with Guinea-Bissau and Sudan. But moving forward and looking at the way that they play um, under Carlos Kedos, um, how concerned are you of this Egyptian side? Or do you feel that as the tournament progresses, heading into those important games, like you said, where it's kind of a different tournament, that we'll see a much different Egyptian side? Well, I, I think they, they still need to play uh, a lot more games with themselves. We know uh, together they, they have been under Keros for a couple of, you know, weeks, basically. So uh, they're going to have to learn because Keros is a tactical genius. So you have to adapt. And um, I, I think in the DNA of the, the Egyptian team is to defend well first, and they go on the counter. They, they always, if you if you go back to the Afcons, they won three in a row. 
it, it was basically that, you know, very good wingers, uh, great Abutrika as a playmaker, and uh, some very good forwards. But the defense was the main, the key of the team. So I think with Kairos, uh, who is really a, a technical, a tactical genius, and I can, I can assure you because uh, we faced him when he was the head coach of Iran in, in the Russian World Cup. So yeah, I, I think they're gonna be better. I don't know if it's for this tournament or maybe in the World Cup playoff in March, but I think they're gonna be a much harder team than they are now. Now, I mean, I'd like to step in because I wanna ask your opinion on, on two teams so far. Uh, Cameroon currently leading Group A and Nigeria leading Group D. Now we know we expected these two teams to kind of be there, you know, fighting for the spot, but I don't know that we've expected them to have such a great start to this tournament, especially when you look at Nigeria having to face Egypt, like you'd said. Cameroon currently leading the tournament with six goals scored, Nigeria second with four goals scored. Which team has impressed you more during this tournament so far and why? I, I think it's going to be Nigeria because the, uh, they sacked Hall just like couple of months ago so uh, I think they 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 have a very technical team to quasi in to um, very Aina very very good players and um, they're the, the eternal favorite you know Nigeria since the, the 90s have has been a very very good team in every tournament mm-hmm. but sometimes you know the arrogance maybe uh, some, you know, overconfidence, if we may say, or something like that. But I think with this, with this team, they can, they can go really far. Uh, Cameroon, I don't know. I don't know. They're the host. So, obviously, they have, you know, the supporters, uh, you know, pushed, and they have their fans and stuff and everybody. But I think the pressure is going to have the best of them because mm-hmm. uh, the first two games they they all have been in reaction. They conceded first, and they conceded very poorly with uh, with mistakes that that you don't do at this level. And uh, because it was Burkina Faso, which is a very good side, but they were nervous. Uh, they didn't have all the players because of COVID and stuff. Uh, Cameroon, you know just had like two penalties which were right but really stupid penalties conceded by Burkina Faso and Ethiopia of course is not uh, the best of the best teams in Africa so I, I think Cameroon is in the reaction during the game and maybe maybe during the the knockout stages when they face maybe a better team a much, much more experienced team uh, I think that it's it's not going to be enough. Now, I'm going to go from those two teams that I think have have impressed and maybe even slightly overachieved to a team that, in my opinion, has completely underachieved, and that's Senegal. Senegal, through two matches, have only scored one goal. They have not lost yet, and they currently lead Group B, tied with Guinea at the top after a uh, a nil nil draw between those two sides. But we expected this Senegal to be possibly the best team in all of Africa, and they just don't look like it on the pitch what's what's wrong with them and can they turn it around to win this tournament as i predicted just last week um, I, I, i'm just 
I, I think most of Africa is asking the same question because <laughs> Senegal is, is such a such a great team, such a great sum of individuals, but it, it it's not performing so well on the pitch. They they always rely on on a you know genius starts from Sadio Mane or even Keita Baldi or Idrissa Gay or something like that, but. I don't know. I don't know. It it happened in 2019. They were far better than Algeria. I can assure you that. But they're not performing. I don't know why. There's a big pressure on the on the head coach of Senegal, even though they took him to to the World Cup, took him to the Afcon final. But I I think it's something psychological because they can't be this bad. I mean, against Guinea, they they. They almost lost against Zimbabwe. They they won with a penalty in '94. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's going on because this team should be playing very good football because they have all the best players in Africa right now. They're first in the FIFA ranking. I don't know what's going on. I think it's, it's something to have with the fact that Senegal uh, lost three finals in the Afcon before, and um, I think they're. The popular pressure on Ali Ufise, the head coach, is, is too much, and it's starting to be, you know, this this just circle where everybody is, you know, the team is is somewhere, the coach is somewhere else, and I, I think they're gonna blow up some in sometime in the future because because they they just can't be this bad. Yeah, and if you know, if memory serves me right, about the same Senegal side, they were eliminated from the World Cup on on sportsmanship points, if I remember correctly, against uh, Japan, if memory serves me. Yeah, so, I I mean, this is a highly talented side to see them kind of, you know, like I said, they haven't lost yet, but stumbling like they are is just, it's unusual to watch, and it'll be interesting. They're going to have one more match against Malawi uh, coming up this week, and odds are, with four points, they have qualified for the next round, but they're going to have to fix all these mistakes that they're making, or else they're not going to get through, like you said. Um, I would be remiss if we didn't talk about the uh, the situation that happened in the uh, Tunisia matchup against Mali uh, midweek with the referee making a massive mistake, blowing his uh, final whistle four minutes before time. I mean, massive chaos ensued. They were supposed to bring the teams back out. Tunisia protested. What can you tell us about this situation? Well, Joe, I th- I think you need the whole podcast for this. For this. <laughs> the short the short version of it. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, everything was messed up th- that day. You know, mm-hmm. uh, not just not the uh, the fact that because way the referee blow the whistle like three times or two times before nineteenth minute and. Uh, and uh, I don't know if you guys know, but the game just after that was delayed by 45 minutes. And when they, you know, starting to 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 chant to, you know, to uh, release the national anthem of Mauritania, mm-hmm. they mistook a nas- another national anthem, <laughs> and then made the, the same mistake three times in a row. And then the players had to sing the national anthem by themselves. So it's a huge mistake. It's, you, you just don't organize tournaments 
and make those mistakes. It's 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 not just cast because the referee is from cast obviously from the confederation, and the the referee system is is not that good because this referee is known for having you know decisions he made. I mean, <laughs> the least we can say is unprofessional decisions in the past. But uh, what happened was, you know, we, we, hit, we hit a new law. And the, the, the problem with that is not what happened, it's the aftermath. The aftermath is complete silence from cast. They didn't say anything. They said, okay, we took the decision to accept the results one nil for Mali, Tunisia lost, there's no rematch, no anything. Okay, but no explanation whatsoever, no decision concerning, you know, the referee himself, and no explanation, nothing. And on the other hand, you've got media and some, some media in Africa and some people, some pundits, uh, trying to create, you know, this whole thing about, you know, saying, oh, you know, in Sevilla, uh, the referee blew a whistle and uh, they had to come back on the pitch and play the last minute. Okay, they made, they made a mistake and you guys made a mistake. So let's acknowledge this and face this, you know, this issue. Let's face it. Let's not hide from it or take it from, you know, pride or something. Oh, it's not against Africa. You, you have a tournament. You have a very, really good and fantastic tournament with all the stories going around. So, yeah, acknowledge the mistake and, you know, try to find a solution. Don't hide behind pride or ego or something like that. You have to face it because at the end of the day, what's going to happen is uh, you know that guy that <laughs> that guy from Switzerland who runs football around the world is gonna be there. You know, in in a couple of weeks in Africa again, he's gonna say, you know, guys, you're not professional. Your tournament doesn't mean anything. You have to make it like four years or something like that to serve his own agenda about the World Cup and stuff. Right. You, you, that's that's the biggest problem, I think. In African football, nobody um, dares to make an autocritic and acknowledge the mistakes that he made. And that's the biggest problem. Hopefully they fix that very, very soon, my friend. Before we let you go, where can our listeners find your work? Um, on the website of Le Matin, of course, on my Twitter account. And uh, yeah, we can talk. We can. Uh, I don't don't share too much articles that prefer to, you know, to interact with people and talk to the people. I mean, thank you for, again, for joining us on the show and going through the African Cup of Nations. We really appreciate your time. All the best. And we will talk again very soon, my friend. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Muchas gracias. And have a nice one. And special thanks again to Amir El Amri for joining us on the show. Roberto, we've got some great matches of the week coming up. We're actually going to give you a day off this week. I know last week we gave you a match every single day. Today we'll give you a, this week we'll give you a day off. So we'll start off on Monday with Burkina Faso and Ethiopia facing off at 11 a.m. in the African Cup of Nations on Tuesday. 
Malawi and Senegal, again, a match that we talked about that they're going to have to keep an eye on. 11 a.m. on that one on Tuesday, and that'll be followed up by Ghana and Comoros on 2 p.m. on Tuesday. Wednesday, Egypt, another team we talked about, will take on Sudan at 2 p.m. Then we'll go back to Europe with Leicester and Tottenham at 2.30 and Valencia-Sevilla in the in La Liga at 3.30 p.m. On Thursday, my friend, I think this is the one single match of the week or the biggest match of the week. The Ivory Coast will take on Algeria, two of the certainly top teams in Africa vying for this title. Those two teams will face off Thursday at 11 a.m. And then on Saturday, so we'll give you Friday off. On Saturday, we're going to see Lazio Atalanta play at 2.45 p.m. And then on Sunday in France, Montpellier Monaco at 11.05 a.m. Hertha Berlin and Bayern Munich at 11.30 a.m. And that day will also give you the round of 16 in the African Cup of Nations. That's when that will kick off. So, Roberto, I gave you a trivia question earlier today that was part of the African Cup of Nations. Let me give it to you again. Nigeria, Mm -hmm. earlier this week, beat Egypt 1-0. It was Egypt's first loss in the group stages of the African Cup of Nations since what year? Oh, man. I'm trying to remember the years that the AFCONs happen. Um, I think they happen every two years, too, if I'm not mistaken. That's correct. So excluding this one. I'm going to go on a limb and say 2000. Very close. Two, 2004 okay. is the last time Egypt lost in the group stages of the African Cup of Nations. So just a great run. And we'll see, obviously, like we said, after their 1-0 victory this weekend, uh, we're going to probably see them in the knockout stages, and we'll have to see if they can continue on their run in the African Cup. Uh, again, like Amin had mentioned, I believe three-time champions, and we'll see if they can add on a fourth if they get this turned around. So without any further ado, my friend, will you hit the closing music? Let's do it. Let's do it. Here we go. So for episode 364, Uh, I'm sorry, 346 of Low Limit Football. Special thanks again to Amir El Amri for joining us on the show. Next week, we'll talk about the round of 16 matchups in the African Cup of Nations. We'll also look into the leagues as well as they continue on their long, slow ride to the finals in May. So, for episode 346 of Low Limit Football, I am Joe Ucello. I am Roberto Thanks for listening, everyone, and good night.